now we are back for a few weeks as we wrap up uh, this wonderful letter. God has taught us so much, and last week we dove right back into chapter 3 with a truth that was really, really important and that challenged us and made us think about some things in a pretty unique way. Here's the summary of last week's message. You can't fulfill the Great Commission without living the Great Commandment. You can't fulfill the Great Commission without living the Great Commandment. So the Great Commission, we are a Great Commission church. We are all about the mission God has called us to. In Matthew 28, uh, right before he ascended to heaven, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. So we want to reach people for Christ, but not only do we want to see people saved and baptized, but we want to pour into them and be their spiritual running partners and teach them what it looks like to follow Jesus. We want to make disciples who make disciples. But what we discovered last week is that we can be all about the mission. We can talk about the mission, present the mission, even work toward the mission. But if we're not careful, we can do it without following the great commandment, which is in Matthew 22. And it's this called, summed up this way, love God and love people. If we are not loving God in such a way that it leads us to love people, then we will not be able to make disciples who make disciples. But we as the people of God want to be people who are fulfilling God's mission. But in order to do that, we've got to love God and love people. So I've said it a lot of different ways and I've repeated that in about four or five different ways just right now because it's that important and we want you to remember it. But just in case I didn't say it enough, let me just make this clear one more time. It's critical if we are going to fulfill the mission to which God has called us that we think about the way we interact with people around us. If we're gonna fulfill the mission God has called us to, we must consider the way we interact with others. So as we continue today in Titus 3, we're gonna see Paul really calling us back to the foundation of how we do this. Next week, we're gonna get back to very similar thoughts to last week, but kinda here sandwiched in the middle of these two texts is this truth that really undergirds all of that, and it's the foundation of living this Christian life. And that foundation, church, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so today, I just got to shoot straight with you, we got a gospel message. But did you know that every single time we open the word of God, it's a gospel message? I told the first service that we were about to unload both barrels of the gospel on them. And then I was like, that's, some of you aren't, that's like a gun reference and you're not cool with that. And that's okay. Uh, so if you're a guest, you're like, so it's that kind of church. But uh, we are just going to just completely give you the truth of the gospel today. And we hope that it soaks in and that it changes your life right here and right now. So let's get to our text. We're going to pray together after we read it and ask the Lord to help us understand. So we're in Titus 3. We're going to begin in verse 3. The word of the Lord says this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Man, that's good. You could almost go home now, but you can't. 
Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help as we study this together. God, uh, we want to just let the truth of this text soak into our hearts and souls. So just saturate us with the truth of the gospel today, Lord, in a way that changes us and makes us who you want us to be. Uh, This time belongs to you, Lord. Use it as you will. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we ended our message with a very practical truth that that I hope uh, stuck with you, and that was a simple application, a simple reminder to remember that people are in process. Everybody you meet is on a journey, and God is working with them. And if we're not careful, we said last week that we kind of judge them for not being as far along as we are, but the call was to remember that everyone we interact with is still in process. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. We shouldn't be surprised when worldly people act like the world. This is one of my favorite silly things that Christians do. But Christians will absolutely lose their mind when the world acts like the world. We're shocked, we're appalled, it's scandalous. We cannot believe that lost people would act like, well, lost people. And we can't believe it. And it just confuses us, it bothers us. And we kind of get judgy and weird about it. But Paul wants Titus to remind the church that they too once lived this way. Verse 3 said it this way, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasure, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Y'all, that's quite a rundown, isn't it? Now, that's a list right there of, of some sins and struggles, but I think this is a pretty good summary of what worldly living looks like. Starting off, it says it's foolish, Rejecting God's wisdom, living for the temporary moments of pleasure and and the now instead of what the Lord would say is best for us. Living for the moment and the impulses of the flesh rather than walking with the Spirit. The text says that this foolishness leads to disobedience. Just being led into whatever kind of passions and pleasures they desire in that moment, not thinking about what the Lord commands. And not only is this life marked by self-indulgence, but worldly living also impacts our relationships with others. The text says that literally we're passing our time. We make time go by by hating on one another, being hated and hating other people. Passing the time with malice and envy, despising others, jealous of everybody we encounter. Sounds like they had an Instagram account, doesn't it? But this is a summary of what life outside of Christ looks like. Now, I just want to say to you this morning that the devil has a very different sales pitch for that, doesn't he? The devil says, hey, you want to live an awesome life, you want to be content, you want to be happy, you want to have real joy, you want to just go out there and fulfill yourself, be the best self you can possibly, you go out there and you get your dreams, your desires, you find your fulfillment in whatever it is that fulfills you, go out there and make that happen. You want to be happy, right? But rather than finding fulfillment, happiness, and meaning... People who run from the Lord and pursue the ways of the world end up finding their life summarized by verse 3. And before you can start judging them, Paul reminds us that this used to be us. So, So I said a moment ago that it's silly for Christians to be shocked when the world acts like the world. But can I tell you, it should shock us 
when people who call themselves Christ followers live like the world. That should shock us. When Christ followers conduct themselves just like lost people in our culture, we find ourselves in a very dangerous place. I mean, how many unbelieving friends and family members have cited that the reason they don't want anything to do with church or anything to do with Jesus is because of the way other Christians have treated them? And we see this and we feel that. Church, you need to know and you need to hear me today. You're going to fail. You're not going to be perfect. But the first truth we encounter in this text remains. There should be a clear contrast between who we were and who we are in Christ. There should be a clear contrast between who we were and who we are in Christ. Look at verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared, he saved us. So don't miss what Paul is saying. He's saying, y'all, you, you can relate to these people who are in process. You know why? You used to be where they're at, but now you are in Christ. And there should be a daylight and dark difference between your life and the life of those in the world. Like we should be able to look at the world and look at Christ followers and say one of these things is not like the other. Now I'm not saying that we all need to like move to a compound and start sewing our own clothes and all that. But I am saying that we as the people of God should look starkly different than the world. Now, now listen, if we're not careful, immediately when I start talking about this, you start thinking moralism. So I need to be better and do more good things. And, and we turn it into like a do more, a be better. And certainly the Bible addresses a lot of that. Were you here last week, right? And next week we're going to talk about some more things that we need to address and think about in our life. But listen, the main difference between Christ followers and the world isn't moral fiber and good behavior. The difference between Christ followers and the world world is that we were dead, but now we're alive. As the saying goes, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. This is the power of the gospel. So here's the reality you need to understand. Everything we talked about in verse three really are just not the problem, but rather they're the symptoms and sure, you can do some behavior modification. You can try to clean your life up. You can work to be a better human. And you might even have some success in doing that. But it's kind of like over-the-counter medicine. You may feel better, but it's actually just covering the symptoms. It's not curing the disease. But you need to know that Jesus Christ came to cure our lostness. He came to defeat sin and death forever. So as we talk about this contrast between who we were and who we are, we need to focus on what that difference is. And that difference, church, is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That makes all the difference in the world. Notice verse 4 doesn't say, but then you finally got your act together. No. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. So let's talk about this gospel. If you don't have a church background, this word gospel simply means good news. And, and there's the good news of the gospel is really just laid out in such clarity here in this text. So I want to kind of talk about it as we walk through this. The first thing we see here is that the gospel appears. The gospel appears. Again, the text does not say that you finally one day decided to get religion and clean your life up. 
It doesn't say that uh, one day you decided to start searching out the truth, so you started watching some really good YouTube videos and found a couple of good YouTube channels that really explained everything well, so you finally understood about Christ. It doesn't say that when you were a kid and you went to a Christian camp that the pastor just spoke really eloquently about the gospel. And that, listen, all of those things may have happened and may indeed be a part of your testimony, but what I want to do this morning is kind of let you in on the behind-the-scenes thing that was happening whenever it is that you came to know Christ. The supernatural reality that was happening behind the scenes is this. You don't find the gospel. The gospel finds you. You don't find the gospel. The gospel finds you. You don't find Jesus, church. Jesus finds you. I've told you this before, but I really don't like it when people tell me something along the lines of, now don't feel judged because I find myself saying this and catching myself saying this, but I can't stand it when I or someone else uses this phrase. You know, I really just don't have much of a testimony. Have you ever found yourself saying that? You know, I, I just don't really have that much of a story. And we think that since we don't have some wild past and big outward transformation, that our story isn't that impressive. But the truth is, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I, every single person in here, have the exact same story. And that story is that God had created us to worship him and enjoy him forever. And at some point, because of our sin nature, we rebelled against him and said, peace out, God, I'm going to do it my own way. So we go and start living our own life. And can I tell you where that sends us? We are on a road heading directly to hell, separated from the God who created us to love him because we chose to go our own direction. So you were heading towards eternal damnation and separation from the God who created you when God in his glory and grace loved you so much that he came to find you. Verse four, but when the goodness and kindness of God appeared. He saved us by the power of the gospel. And we were saved because the gospel appeared. The good news found us. That may have been when you were at the bottom of a bottle in the middle of a dark, lonely night. That may have been when you were in a jail cell after a life of crime. That may have been when you were sitting in the pew as an eight-year-old. But hear me when I say this, you have a testimony. You were dead, now you're alive because the gospel appeared. When the gospel appears, the next truth we see in this text is that the gospel saves us. We use this word a lot, saved, and this is what it means. The moment that we're talking about when you're recreated, brought from death to life. Look at me, look with me again at verse 5 of what the text says. There it is. I'm sorry, my eyes are getting older. It says, he saved us. Now listen to me. When I use this word saved a lot, can I tell you what I get a lot here in our non-denom church world? saved, you use that word saved a lot, that's very Baptist of you. Can I tell you, that's not very Baptist of me, that's very Bible of me. Because the word saved is all over the Bible. So you can, you know, when you talk about getting saved, some people are like, uh, let's talk about assurance, or let's talk about, no, you need to get saved. <laughs> you are in either one of two categories, you're either lost or you are saved today. 
And that evidence is truth all over, the, that truth is evidenced all over the scriptures. Verse 5 says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. How is it that we're saved? How do we come to this moment of salvation? This text says first that it's by God's mercy. The gospel appears and when we respond to the Holy Spirit of God. So the gospel appears and the truth of the gospel is communicated and the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart and you respond by saying, yes, Lord, I believe that you died to save me. I believe that you're my savior. I believe in this good news of the gospel. So be my Lord and be my savior. And in that very moment, this text says that the Holy Spirit of God regenerates you, makes you totally totally brand spanking new. You are a new creation. And again, it's important to know that the Bible says this isn't anything that you do. So it's not like you do this and now all of a sudden you can be saved. No, but that by his grace, love, and mercy, Jesus Christ saves us, not because of our works, because you cannot do anything to save yourself, but God in his love sent Jesus to live a perfect life. And he came and he lived his entire life and never sinned. He never did anything outside of the will of God. Yet he was nailed to a cross and took the punishment you and I deserve. That punishment wasn't from the government of Rome. That punishment wasn't from the Jewish religious system. That punishment was as he hung on the cross, the very wrath of God, the punishment you and I deserve because of our sin was poured out upon Christ. And he took sin and death and he died on that cross and took sin and death with him to the grave. But three days later, God raised him up victorious over sin and death. And the Bible says that when we call out to Jesus and ask him to be our savior and Lord, that a couple things happen. First, in that moment, Jesus' payment of sin becomes our payment of sin. So we can stand before the Lord again, completely clean, washed by the blood of the lamb, perfect and holy. But the second thing that happens is that perfect life Jesus lived is given to us as well. So we stand before a holy God as a holy people, not because we're holy in and of ourselves, but because of the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for that today? The gospel saves us. By his grace, God sent his Holy Spirit to communicate that truth to your heart. And if you heard and responded to the Holy Spirit of God and asked him to save you, then you are saved today. But, but you need to hear me when I say this very clearly. If you have not had that moment, then you're not a Christ follower. You're not a Christian. Despite what, you know, like moral you subscribe to, despite how often you may come to church, it doesn't matter how much you give to the church, how good you try to be. If you have never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and responded to the gospel, then you are not saved today. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what saves us. So the big question that you need to answer in your own heart today is, are you saved? And friends, listen to me. I want to just appeal to you because so often when I ask that question, the automatic answer is yes, but it concerns me because the reasons that people give for being saved are so wild and all over the place. 
people will sell, tell me, yeah, yeah, I'm saved. And when I say, okay, so, so how do you know you're saved? And people will say things like this. You, you know, I, I kind of grew up in church my whole life. Or, or they'll say, I, I got baptized when I was eight. Or as my kid says, baptized. You know, you know I, I've been in church and people will say this. This is a phrase I get a lot. Well, you know, I've always known God. Yes, yeah, so has Satan. Just the reality. You've heard me say this before, but being in the church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. The question is today, do you know Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Are you saved? And here's what I want to just say. Probably the scariest one that people respond to me is when I talk about salvation, they say this. Well, you know, I just hope that when I get up there to those pearly gates that I've done enough good things that the good Lord will let me in. And you'll hear that kind of garbage in your favorite country songs. And you'll have the audacity to kind of act like that's a Christian song. Oh, don't get me started on that. Lord, bring me back to these notes. And don't even get me started talking about new country. Because then I will get hellfire and brimstone. I've never been to the Florida Georgia line, but that sounds like hell to me. Well, let me see, where are we at? Uh, okay, we're talking about being saved. <laughs> you need to know, and you need to just listen to me when I say this, do not let the devil try to like twist your mind and trying to rely on your own righteousness to get to heaven. It will not happen. You cannot save yourself. It is impossible for you to do enough good things for the good Lord to let you in. That will not happen. Because you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that your very best deeds, your greatest righteous deed is as filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. So like the things when you get to heaven, if you had a like spiritual resume, the thing you would put at the very top of it, the best thing you ever did during your life on earth, if it was up there on the top and you said, I, I want you to notice number one there, I uh, led a life group for three decades, very faithful. You know, I tithed my entire adult life, Lord. It says that our very best deeds are as filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. You can't do it on your own. But the good news is Jesus Christ saves by his grace if you place your faith in him. So if you don't know him today, the time is now. Surrender your life to him. Respond to the Holy Spirit of God. Be regenerated. Be made new today. But remember what we often say here what Paul's already taught us in the book of Titus, the same gospel that saves you is the gospel that grows you. The second question is this. So first we gotta ask, are you saved? Here, this one's important, y'all. Are you living like it? Are you living like you've been changed by the gospel? Has the gospel truly transformed your life? There's a reason Paul sandwiches this gospel truth between two texts that are very important for us to think about how we live our lives. And we're gonna talk next week about that some more. But before we can actually change our lives, hear me when I say this, before you can have practical life change, the foundation for change is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you aren't living in the reality of the gospel, all of the great practical Bible teaching in the world will not change your life. 
Sure, you might be able to change some things and improve your life a little bit. Listen, the Bible has a lot to say about how you live your life. A lot of great, very practical wisdom. But that practical wisdom isn't going to help unless the gospel is the foundation of your life. There's a reason that the self-help industry is massive. By the way, uh, you've heard me rip on the self-help industry a lot. I enjoy those books and read them. I was at Barnes & Noble yesterday. They've, they've changed the name because it's gotten so much hate. You know what they call that section now? Personal growth. So you can go to the personal growth section. By the way, I'm not even making this up. I wish I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get already Florida Georgia line to you. Who knows what's coming next? Literally across the way. So I'm looking at the personal growth books and turn around, and I can't even remember what the title was, but it looked totally innocuous. And it was worded very similar to personal growth, but you know what it was? A bunch of witchcraft books. I'm not even kidding you. So you've got self-help, and then while you're trying to fix your life, there are some people who are lost who turn around, and the world is just sucking them in. You don't think that darkness exists in our culture today? Go find that aisle. It's, it's a little bit frightening. But what I want to tell you is that all the self-help mumbo-jumbo, even the very good Bible teaching that will help you live a better life, will not actually lead to lasting transformation unless you get the gospel right. The gospel must be the foundation. Because here's the truth, even if by your strength and willpower you were able to improve your morality, without the foundation of the gospel, you know what ends up happening? You just become like a religious prideful jerk. And then you're unable to live the great commandment. And if you're unable to live the great commandment, you can't fulfill the great commission and you have just totally missed it. So Paul says, get the gospel right. And then loving others, walking in obedience, walking in wisdom becomes natural to us. So I want to talk for a minute about how the gospel actually changes our lives. Are you doing okay today? I'm just going to stop for a second. You've been a little quiet. It's all right. I know this is just how you are. Like this afternoon at 3 o'clock, no matter what's happening in that football game, you're going to be sitting there quiet and somber, <laughs> reflecting quietly upon what the truth of this football game means for your soul. So it's fine. I know that's just your nature. So how does the gospel change your past, present, and future? Let's talk about all three of those. We're going to move quick, so don't panic. Some of you are like, he's not going to let us go till that game starts. Here's the first thing, the gospel changes your past. Listen, when you are saved, everything changes. I've quoted this passage two or three times, but you may wanna write this down. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is this verse that says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I love the King James Version says a new creature. You are totally different, totally brand new. The old you has died and the new you is risen to walk in new life. The old you is gone. And here's what this means practically. Until you're saved, you don't really have a past. Until you're saved, that's still your present reality until you come to know Christ. So in a very real sense, your past changes from who you are to who you were when you're saved. The gospel gives you a present and a future by freeing you from your past. But like we said earlier, the sad reality is that way too many Christ followers are still living in the worst stage instead of really living as who you are in Christ. But you need to know the gospel brings you freedom from your past. Do you need freedom today? It is found in the gospel. And I'm not just talking about your sins and struggles, but some of you need to hear that too, that you can leave those behind. But can I tell you, really the issue 
is realizing who you truly are in Christ. You're still living as you were because you haven't stepped into who you are. So many of us still live like lost people who are trying to find our way home, but you need to know that the gospel of Jesus Christ has brought us home. We're all out here trying to prove our worth and our value, trying to live and show everybody that our life means something, that there's value to us. When God says, I've already made you whole, I've saved you and called you my own, stop living as if you're incomplete. Some of you need to hear this today. This is the good news of the gospel for you right here, right now. Stop living in the past. You are a child of God. I was reading 1 Samuel 15 with my discipleship group a few weeks ago, and we were reading the story of King Saul. Man, that dude made boneheaded decision after boneheaded decision. If you want to read that later, you can kind of just go and read a few chapters around that. And honestly, all of them almost look as if they were him trying to, in his arrogance and boldness, assert himself as being the man. Like he's trying to show everybody around there that I'm the king and I'm king material and you better believe it. So I'm going to offer the sacrifice when I'm ready. Nobody's going to tell me when. I know that the prophet said that we should do it this way, but I'm going to do it this way because I'm the king and that's how I roll. So you look at him and you think this is an arrogant dude. But then Samuel, the prophet spokesperson for God, said this to him. And this astounded me when I read it. Listen to this. Though you are little in your own eyes... Has God not anointed you king over his people? So so listen to what happens in that moment. Samuel is exposing that all of Saul's over-the-top behavior, all of his extra, is really just an attempt to validate who he was, to prove to everybody that he was king material, that he really belonged there. And Samuel just speaks in his life and basically says, man, your low view of yourself is killing you and killing the kingdom because you won't recognize who it is that God has called you to be. So step into the role that God has anointed you and called you to be. And some of you need to hear that message today. Some of you are still trying to live in such a way to validate yourself and prove your worth to to everybody around you and show that you should be here and that you're good enough. But what you need to recognize is that you really are struggling with this. Samuel's words to Saul need to be to you today. Though you are little in your own eyes, you are a son of God. We're daughter of King Jesus, and it's time to step into that identity and live like it and stop living in the were and start living as who you are in Christ. And that would change your life if you believe that today. Walk in your calling. Walk as a son or daughter of God. The gospel brings us freedom from our past, but it also leads us to this next truth that the gospel changes our present Verse 5 said that our past is transformed, how? By the work of the Holy Spirit. But then look at verse 6. Whom God poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So the Holy Spirit of God has been poured out on us richly because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's what you need to know, friends. The moment you are saved, you are given the Holy Spirit of God. He indwells you in that very moment as a seal of your salvation is what the Bible tells us. You are given the Holy Spirit of God. 
The Holy Spirit is not a spooky ghost. The Holy Spirit is not an aura. The Holy Spirit is not a vibe. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a he. He is part of the Godhead, God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And this is what the Bible says. This is an astounding truth, y'all. Colossians 2 says that the fullness of God dwells in Jesus and the fullness of Jesus dwells in you through the indwelling Holy Spirit. God himself resides in you. Does that freak anybody else out? I mean, you talk about the gospel transforming your present. If you could just get that figured out and believe that, your entire life would be different. There are no ordinary moments, friends. You are never alone, no matter where you are at. God himself resides in you through the Holy Spirit. Transformation is possible. Change is possible. I asked you a few weeks ago if you believed that God could bring revival to America, and it was kind of like, eh, maybe. You didn't say that. That would have been weird. But that was the, the, the very much the vibe of the room. But if the Holy Spirit of God indwells his people and you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, why in the world would you think that you can't change? Why in the world would you think that your family can't be changed? Why in the world would you think that your lost friends can't come to know Christ? Friends, God himself dwells in you. The gospel radically changes your present. There is no ordinary day. There is no ordinary church service. There is no ordinary moment in your life when God resides in you. May you recognize that and believe that today. Woo, I've got enough excitement for all of us. It's all right. Y'all save it for 2.15. It'll be okay. Because I'm not going to be excited then. See, more, some of you are more worked up about that than you are the Bible. That's fine. I'm not a Chiefs fan. <clears throat> that was the Holy Spirit of God whispering that. <laughs> Listen to me. As close as the heart beating in your chest is to you, that's how close God himself resides in you right now. But let me just ask you one last question. What happens when your heart stops beating? It's a good question, isn't it? So not only does the gospel change our past and our present, but friends, hear me when I say this, the gospel changes your future. Verse 7 says, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Y'all, the hope of the Christian life is the promise of eternal life. Unless the Lord comes back before it happens, spoiler alert, you're going to die. One day you're going to close your eyes on earth and open them in eternity. And for those who know Christ, our hope will be realized. This doesn't mean that we don't have questions. Death is scary, like it freaks us out. We've got a lot of questions that honestly still remain somewhat unanswered, but this we know. The gospel of Jesus Christ has guaranteed our future because we are heirs with Christ. We are sons and daughters of the King, and we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with our Lord, and this is our hope. Jesus changes everything. The gospel changes everything. Your past, your present, and your future. So all the way back to our original two questions. First, you need to answer this question quietly to your heart. You don't have to answer it out loud right now. The question is, are you saved? Do you really 
know Jesus today. And if you don't, can I just tell you what God is doing in this moment? The Holy Spirit of God is present here as we communicate the truth of the gospel. If he is stirring your heart and you recognize like, man, I need to give my life to Jesus. I want to encourage you to let today be the day of salvation. This day could change your past, present, and future right now because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Church church friends that are here, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me, every single person in here. And I I want to just lead you in a simple prayer today. When it comes to asking Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, you need to know there are no magic words. You don't just say a certain repetition of things and that saves you. No, what saves you is your heart crying out to the Lord and asking him to be your Savior and Lord. So I want to just pray a prayer that you could simply pray if the Lord is moving in your heart and you know that today you need to be saved, then you could just pray something like this. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that my sin has separated me from you. But I know you loved me enough to send Jesus to be my savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and for giving me your life. Be my savior and be my Lord. I surrender everything to you. Right here in this moment, I want everyone just to continue with their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time and surrendered your life to Christ, I want to tell you that we as your friends and brothers and sisters here at this church want to celebrate that with you. We want to walk alongside you and talk to you about what that means. So nobody's looking around, and I'm the only one, but I just wonder if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you just gave your life to Christ, I want to invite you just to to put your hand in the air so I can see it, so I can know to be praying for you. Thank you. Thank you. I know there are some of you in here who maybe say, yeah, I've given my life to Christ before, Pastor Rusty, but if I'm honest today, I I haven't been living like it. That second question, are you living like it? That one will get you, won't it? Today, if you know that you need to give your life to Christ, then I wanna just invite you to come talk to me and and visit about that. But those of you who say, yeah, I've already given my life to Christ, but I haven't been living like it, I wanna give you a chance today to maybe just come to this altar and say, Lord, I'm back Thank you for saving me. Remind me of what the gospel means for me day in and day out. And I want to just tell you, if you prayed a moment ago and asked Jesus to be your savior, I want to give you an opportunity to come talk to me in a minute. We're going to have a song of response. And I'm going to be standing right up here. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and just gave your life to Christ right now, I want to have an opportunity to pray with you and celebrate with you right here in this moment. I want to encourage you to to come forward and talk to me and let me know that you gave your life to Christ. And I want to encourage those of you who maybe already know Jesus, but but know that you need to just come and have some time with him. I want to just, as your pastor, encourage you to respond if the Lord moves you to respond. You know, there's probably a lot of other people who think I should go pray, and the reason they don't is because no one else is going. So you're not the only one. If the Lord is moving in you and calling you to come respond, I, I want you to come pray. 
Pastor Lyle will be here. I'm here. We'd love to be your pastors and pray for you if you have a prayer need you'd like us to pray for. But you could just come up to these steps and kneel down and just do business with the Lord. Whatever God wants you to do, I want to encourage you to respond to him as we sing this song. But let me pray over you now. Lord, give us boldness to respond as the way you would like us to. God, I thank you for your gospel that saves us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that moves in our lives. May we respond to you.